magic. Muted. I gotta begin all over, don't I? I'm gonna pretend you didn't hear it the first time. So I'm making a major confession. Sorry, YouTube world. I already said this, but the mic wasn't on. Uh, but anyways, I've preached this series twice already. Man, my voice is that loud. I think it was that, I, that I thought the mic wasn't on. That's insane. Um, anyways, the first time I preached it was in September 2014, and I was a brand new youth pastor here. Uh, it was the junior high and the senior high. Um, and the second time I preached it was to the young adults in the college in 2016 in September at the same time. And I think the confession that I did make is that both times I preached it, I didn't get it quite right, if you are following. Um, and, uh, but, you know, don't, but don't get it twisted. It's not like I preach wrong things or, or the content of what I'm about to preach this series is, is, is that much different. And a little bit, but not, not really good. But both times as I preached it, I was praying and I was hoping that the Beatitudes, the series that we're going to go through in Matthew 5, it was going um, to be this thing that, that was going to change your lives forever, right? That through the Beatitudes that your lives, right, would be changed and the kingdom would come into our lives, right? I envisioned it as a way to start our ministry well in 2014, right? As a youth pastor, I wanted it to get off on the good foot. In 2016, same thing with a college young adult ministry. I wanted to get off on the good foot and get us really right in the direction that we wanted to be. My hope was that this series would have acted like, like you know, a dream that we declared, right? Like the things that, you know, they say, uh, they tell you on, on YouTube and on Google, speak your dreams into existence, that kind of a thing. That's what I was hoping it would be. I'm really loud. Is there a reason why? I, found, I sound super loud and echoey. Um, and that's what I was hoping for. It's kind of like this. When you go to a gym, you'll see a poster like this. Click. Biceps don't grow on trees. So if you see the poster and you see the picture, you'll get motivated to have guns like that guy. Because biceps don't grow on trees. That was my hope and my intention when I first started this series. That if I paint this picture for you, that you would want and aim to go into that place. That it would be motivation. But I think I missed it. Because by doing so, I largely dis disregarded the context in which this sermon, this beatitude was preached by Jesus in, when he first did it. And that's extremely critical. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to read the context for you. It will be on the screen as always. Um, and it's from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, and then 20 through 23, 4, 23 through 5, 2. And I want to introduce you to the context, because we're going to be sitting in this for a little while, but the context is really important for us to understand what's going on. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 17, or 12 through 17, excuse me, and then verses 23 through 5, uh, verse 2. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken to the Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people were, who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jump to verse 23 with me. 
Jesus was going through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases, pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea from beyond the Jordan. And so when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying the Beatitudes that we're going to learn. We won't go there yet. So the context to which Jesus is preaching this, John the Baptist goes to jail. He's the one who's preparing the way for Jesus. And after this, Jesus knows. That's the signal that Jesus begins to be Jesus, like the Jesus that you know, right? The great light to the darkness, as Isaiah prophesied, right? Jesus is going then throughout Galilee. He's teaching. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's healing every disease. And because he's doing so, large crowds are following him everywhere. We're talking like hundreds to thousands of people following him because he's doing amazing things, teaching and healing and doing all these things. And so Jesus sees this humongous crowd. And when he sees them, then he goes on top of this mountain and then he delivers what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. To this entire humongous crowd who have heard the gospel and experienced miraculous healings, this is what Jesus says. Read with me in verses uh, chapter 5, 3 through 12. And these are the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, then, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, after hearing that list, if you're like me or someone, you know, kind of skeptical like me, you're probably thinking, um, I don't like that list one bit because there isn't really much of that that sounds blessed and or good. What is blessed about being poor? What's blessed about mourning? What's blessed about being gentle and or meek, being merciful, persecuted? All these things are not blessed. Please don't tell me that this is a list that I should follow. What's blessed about any one of those things? Now, G.K. Chesterton, who's a famous uh, theologian from way back, he said this. He said, the first time I heard the Beatitudes, they made no sense. But the second time I heard them, nothing else made sense. My professor teaching on this, he said this. He says, the Beatitudes ought to come with a warning label. Spend a season in these words and your life will never be the same. Now, I told you the context in which Jesus preached. And the way that I preached it was that I was hoping for it was going to be a motivational poster. Beatitudes splattered everywhere and you'd be like, ah, that's what I want to be. But that's not the way this went. Matthew tells us in chapter 4 that Jesus was going around and he's preaching already. He's preached the gospel already. People have heard the gospel and he's been healing people. And so Jesus has already been Jesus for a good amount of time. And then after that, he preaches the Beatitudes. Which means then that the Beatitudes are technically not the gospel. Now, of course, there in them are held the gospel message, but they technically are not the gospel. Because the Beatitudes are something that accompanies, that comes after the gospel has already been preached. Or more importantly, the Beatitudes are supposed to be heard and then applied and then lived out after you and I have received the gospel already. 
Because without hearing the gospel, the Beatitudes then, again quoting my professor, become oppressing rules that suffocate you or frustrating ideals that you cannot live up to. Without the gospel, these lists, this list of Beatitudes, the blessed are list, either become oppressing rules that suffocate you or frustrating ideals that you cannot live up to. But with the gospel, they're totally different. And that's where I made a mistake. I was hoping that they were going to be the gospel message. But you need to know the gospel and then hear the Beatitudes for them to make sense. So then the question, naturally, that we have to ask is, what then is the gospel, right? you got to know the gospel, and then after that, you got to hear the Beatitudes. Well, Jesus tells us right here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 17. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark's version, and found in chapter 1, verses, 4, verses 15, says this. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Notice this type of statement this is. The gospel isn't something, anything other than a proclamation. Jesus is saying, look, pay attention. The gospel is here. The kingdom is broken in. It's at hand. It's time for you to repent and believe. It's a news. It's a hear-ye newspaper posting saying the gospel is true. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, that sounds cool. You're yelling again and that's supposed to get our attention, but, like, what does that really matter? Now, if you've done, if you've done student leadership or gone on missions or anything like that, you've, you've always gotten this big old application thing. It's got a bunch of questions, right? And the very first question always is, what is the gospel? It never disappears. You've, many of you have filled it out six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. But the thing is, we have to understand what is indeed the gospel. What is the good news? You see, I think we've mistaken it a little bit. Yes, it is indeed good news that yours, your and my sins have been, been, been forgiven. That's great news. Yes, it's also good news that our relationship with God has been repaired and healed. What was once broken is now good. That's also great news. And yes, it is good news that we've been adopted into God's family. Again, great news. Again, good news that we've been given the gift of salvation and eternal life. All true. But according to Jesus... The good news is the explosive announcement that in him, a kingdom that we've been waiting for has broken into the world. It's the announcement of a great fact, a fact like any other fact, a fact that is going to change all other facts on earth. You see, the gospel is this announcement that with Jesus, the old way of living is out the door and the new way of living has come. The old world order, if you will, the old reign has now on its way out with God's glorious reign and kingdom invading the world. you got to think of like long-term, back in the day, old history where you had actually kingdoms and kings and so forth, and people go and invade each other's kingdoms and all those kind of things. Jesus coming in and saying, my kingdom is here. All other kingdoms, you're, you better watch out because it's about to be over real soon. Before we get to the grace of Savior, before we get to the fact that your sins have been forgiven, the good news is that the entire world order, the old rule, the old way of living is indeed going, going out and God's kingdom is invading the world. One person called it a divine revolution. So you better repent and believe. And if you think about it in those days, if a new kingdom came in and a new king came into town and said, I'm the new king, you're under my rule, you better follow me or else. What's the or, or else? Right? 
Jesus is saying you better repent and believe. Now, he's not threatening you by any means. But it's an announcement of a new kingdom and a new way of living, new rules, new ways, new thought patterns, paradigms, and the whole bit. Whatever you thought you knew is no longer true anymore. So repent. Now, that word repent means to literally turn around. Or I like U-turn. We love those in Texas. The U-turn lanes are amazing. If you go outside of Texas, they don't exist. And it's frustrating as all else to turn around on highways. That U-turn lane. U-turn and believe the news. You turn and walk in a new direction. You were going in that direction. You turn and walk in that direction. That's the gospel. It's in this context, after proclaiming this amazing news, that then Jesus preaches the Beatitudes. Which then means, I think, for us, that the Beatitudes are the clearest sign and indication that human beings are indeed you turning around and becoming Beatitude people. This list that I read that may not have sounded so good to you off the bat is the clearest indication and sign that you and I are turning around, you turning, repenting, and becoming beatitude people who received and know the gospel. In other words, the Beatitudes are Jesus' picture. He's painting a picture for you of what it looks like to have the gospel of God come and invade our hearts and our systems and then turn everything upside down. The Beatitudes is describing a people in whom the light has dawned and erased the darkness, as Matthew says earlier, quoting Isaiah. This is why I was telling you that the other two times I preached it, I missed it. Because I was hoping that this is where we're going to be. But the reason why I'm preaching it this fall is not because I preach it every two years and I'm lazy and I don't want to prepare anything else. It's because I, this time around, I'm clearly seeing signs that the gospel is holding on to your hearts like never before. The way you worship, the way you serve, the way you pray, the way you do different things, indeed, is signs of the fact that the gospel is taking a hold of your heart. And I want us to dig deeper into what that means so that the gospel life will spring forth evermore unlike ever before. And for those of you maybe that don't know the gospel, I hope that this will help you to see what a life in the gospel will be. But for those who've received and know the gospel, this season for you will be a season, I think, of transformation in which your life goes from something to something it wasn't and becoming beatitude people, which is what we all want to be. So as you can probably tell, I'm stoked. I'm hyped. And I've been praying that the gospel will take hold of your heart and we will become beatitude people. Make us beatitude people, God. People living right side up in an upside down world. So each week, as we get to a new beatitude, hopefully you'll be here all the weeks. Don't miss out on any single one if you can. Each week, hopefully, you'll get excited and you'll see what life of you turning around and allowing the gospel to take hold of us more and more, and then we will be transformed into beatitude people. So today, as an introduction, I want to give you five observations, quick observations about this text that I think will help you throughout the rest of this time. For those of you note-takers in here, you want to take these notes down. If you want, I can give you the notes. Uh, I can put them online or whatever on Facebook, and, or I can email them to you. And you want to look at these continually and keep remembering these in your mind as we go through each and every single one because they'll be helpful for you, okay? 
five quick observations, and I, and I came up with five wordings that may be helpful for you. The first, click the packaging. If you notice, the eight Beatitudes are bracketed by theirs is the kingdom. Click. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you go skip down to verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the Greek language, there's this very interesting literary tool that we've gone over before, that when you have a list, and this is literally a list, when you have a list and it's bracketed by the same phrase from the beginning and the end, when you have a bracket same phrase, in Greek literature, it allows for the understanding that that phrase can be read at the end of each line. So if you read it that way, then each of the lines should be read like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for there, should be, uh, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the gentle, for there is the kingdom of heaven, and so on and so forth. Now, notice one thing really quickly. Click. Notice it's theirs is the kingdom, not will be. That's important to notice always all the way through. But what this means then, that in the list that you just read, if indeed you can put there's the kingdom of heaven at the end of each one, each of the other descriptions are giving you an idea of what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is a Greek literary thing. It's a nerdy thing, but you have to pay attention. It means then that the kingdom is about being comforted. The kingdom is about inheriting the earth. The kingdom is about receiving mercy. The kingdom is all about these things that are listed here. And oh, what a kingdom. I want to be a part of it. What about you? The kingdom is about being called and treated as a son of God, about seeing the Lord and so on and so forth. You have to remember that. The second observation that we want to make is the pronoun position. Notice where the pronouns in each of these phrases are listed. Notice it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or for they shall be comforted. Notice it isn't, the kingdom of heaven is theirs, or comfort will come to those, or inheritance will be theirs. Now you might think that's a very small a literary thing, but indeed, it's not. The fact that this pronoun is in the beginning, again, in the Greek literature, is to emphasize the pronoun more so than maybe the thing that comes after it. And literally, that word theirs in Greek is of them. And if you dig a little further into Greek literature, it literally should be read like this. Of them and only them. Or theirs and only theirs. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs and only theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they and only they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, because for theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom. And if you read it this way, you're probably hearing it. You're, fearing, you're, you're hearing and you're feeling more, e more uneasy about the whole thing. Because Jesus isn't, you know, pulling any punches. He's saying, if you are not poor in spirit, guess what? The kingdom don't belong to you. Those who are not meek, guess what, will not inherit the earth. Those who are not peacemakers, guess what, are not yet indeed children of God. And worse, those who have not yet been persecuted for righteousness in some way, shape, or form have not yet received the kingdom, Jesus says. Then be fighting words. Now don't fret, at least not too much, just yet. Because you don't know what poor in spirit means. You don't know what it means to mourn, and we'll learn that as we go. You don't know what it means to be pure in heart. What you're thinking is probably not quite what it means. But nonetheless, 
Ask yourself, if indeed what Jesus says is true, and only the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom and have the kingdom, does the kingdom belong to you? The third, the same person. Jesus here in the Beatitudes isn't describing eight different gospelized people. He's not saying in this group you'll have a pocket of poor in spirit, a pocket of mourning, a pocket of this, and a pocket of that. No, no, no. These are eight different qualities of the exact same gospelized person. Which means when the gospel takes a hold of your heart, all of you, every single one of you, will show signs of being poor in spirit, mourning, merciful, gentle, pure in heart, peacemakers, and have been persecuted for righteousness. All these things will explode out of you. For example, the word uh, poverty in spirit, kind of. I'll give you obviously more this week, a sneak peek this week. Poverty in spirit means something like, I simply do not have what it takes. And when you realize that you don't have what it takes, you mourn over the fact that the world is the way that it is. And when you mourn, then you become gentle. And when, you, when you're gentle, it creates a hunger and a thirst for a rightly relatedness in the world that we call righteousness. It's like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, right? We love saying that the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, faith, oh my goodness. Love, patience, oh my goodness. My kids sing it like every day. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, whatever. Anyways, clearly I know my Bible very well. Just like that, it's the fruit. Fruit, singular, which means all of the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Anyways, I think I've missed one. Faithfulness, thank you. All of these are evident in the same person when the gospel takes a hold of you. Which also means then that all the seven can be used for each other to interpret the other. My professor says that the seventh one, blessed are the peacemakers, are especially true. That the first six are qualities that allow you to be a peacemaker. And then quality number eight, being persecuted, is what happens to those who try to be peacemakers in the world. You're not trying to be poor in spirit and just poor in spirit. You're trying to be all, or you will be all, I guess is the better way to put it. Fourth observation, the blessed, not the happy. The Greek word for this is makarios, click. That word means blessed. Now, that word can be translated to happy, but that's not quite right. Because happy in the English word is too weak because it's related to happenings. Now, we've said this before, but what this means is that your happiness will fade and or go based on your happenings. Good happenings equals lots of happy. Bad happenings equals no happy, a.k.a. sad. So the word happy is not strong enough in this context. But more, this word makarios is not, uh, to translate it happy is not quite right because it places the emphasis on the wrong place. This word makarios places the emphasis not on the way that you and I feel, about our condition of being poor in spirit and so on. So it only addresses how God feels about this condition. It might sound harsh, but this phrase, God does not care how you feel about being poor in spirit. It only matters how he feels about the fact that you're poor in spirit. Now, this might not sound so great to you, right? But it's because for us, happiness or blessedness or joy is always a subjective thing that we feel and or don't feel depending on how you do, right? You'll wake up one morning, you'll feel really happy, and the next minute you won't be happy. 
It's this thing that fades all the time. For God, that's not what it is. Blessedness, makariosness, is an objective thing, a fact that is true and therefore good for you and I. And we'll dig into more of that in the coming weeks. Which means then, we have to come up with a different word than just the word blessed. Now, I kind of scoured and I uh, looked over and and uh, thought of different words that other people use, and this is what they came up with. The first one was, congratulations, you poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom. Another one said, you lucky bums, you poor in spirit. Another one is, right on, for being poor in spirit. Or right side up, for being poor in spirit. But interestingly, when you're right on or right side up in the world, the world will think you're upside down because they're upside down. You get it? They're looking at it in opposite directions. But I think the best one is this one, in sync. A little homage to my 90s heritage. No one laughed. Dang, I'm old. You're supposed to laugh. This is a joke for you. Come on, bro. Um, My wife failed me over here. Um, she's supposed to laugh too, but she's Canadian, so maybe that's why. Just kidding. Now, in sync means to be synchronized, right? In sync, together, in tune, in line, in step, in sync are you with the kingdom of God when you are poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit means you're properly aligned with the kingdom. It means that things are well and the things are the way they're supposed to be, which means Jesus has come to realign, to reposition, to put all things together so they fit in the way that they're supposed to be. In sync are you, the poor in spirit, for yours and only yours is the kingdom of heaven. And fifth and last one, we'll finish here, the unnatural. Now this one's really critical, and we finish with this one. These qualities in the Beatitudes if you're feeling bummed out that you're not poor in spirit or whatever, these qualities are not natural qualities that exist in human beings just on their own. Which means that you and I don't possess the quality of being poor in spirit, merciful, gentle, peacemakers, pure in heart, and so on and so forth. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you get up in the morning and you get on your knees and you open up your Bible or do whatever and say, God, I want to be poor in spirit today. I want to be merciful today. I want to be a peacemaker today. I want to do this and this and this. And no matter how hard you try, these qualities will not come out simply because you want to. Which means Jesus didn't go into Galilee preaching the good news, looking for beatitude people. He wasn't looking for people who were already beatitude people. Why? Because they didn't exist. Because the gospel had not yet broken and done things in the world the way they were supposed to. The call is to U-turn. Every single one of us, the call is to U-turn. Whatever life you were living, whatever direction you were going, you better U-turn because it ain't the way you're supposed to go. If you believe that you're not good looking enough or you're not fit enough or skinny enough or pretty enough, turn around because the God of the universe says you are beautiful, made in his image. Turn around. If you think that the world and the success it was supposed to give, your career, your job, your money, your house, your car, whatever status is going to get you through the end, make you happy, turn around because God says only I can satisfy you. All other things are fleeting. Turn around. You turn. So Jesus goes into Galilee calling people to U-turn because his invading kingdom has come. And because they come in contact with him and his gospel and his kingdom, then these qualities were coming out of them. So he's preaching to them, this is who y'all are supposed to be if you know the gospel. Repent and believe.
Notice it doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. Click, therefore, theirs is the kingdom. But it's more blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom. It isn't in sync are you with me. In line are you with me. Therefore, the kingdom belongs to you. No, 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 no. It is in sync are you because I gave you the kingdom. And you have been changed because of it. And interestingly enough, you know it. You know it deep in your hearts. It can't be the word therefore. It can't be blessed are you, therefore. The kingdom of heaven is yours. And you know why, don't you? Because then we would try so hard to be poor and humble, to try to get persecuted, to get into the kingdom and have that status. You try whatever it is that you could try to get the things that you want. And then you'd be proud of the fact that you're humble enough to be poor. Oh, look how poor I am. Mm -hmm. So humble. Well, you ain't humble enough. Me? I'm poor and humble. But you proud, bro. No, I'm not proud. I'm humble and poor. But you ain't humble and poor. That's why you don't have the kingdom. That's the way it would be. So first, repent and believe that the gospel has invaded the world. That's why the call is to always repent and believe. Every morning, we get up and we repent and believe. Day after day, deeper levels of repentance, deeper levels of believing, month after month, year after year, again and again, getting turned right side up, becoming in sync and synchronized and becoming who you're meant to be. RK fam, this fall, this is what we're hoping for, that you would receive and hold the gospel, that it would take hold of you, and because of it, you would become beatitude people. For those of you in whom this is happening, deeper and deeper and deeper, that the gospel will proclaim into your life that the world, the, the old way of living is not true anymore. God's way of living is indeed true and is invaded, and our lives will change because of it. There's life, there's joy. Yes, there's pain, but there's joy in the midst of it. That Jesus, who has come to live, who came to die, who then indeed resurrected and ascended, all of it deeper and deeper still, you and I are supposed to believe. And for those of you who've never believed this good news, the call is to turn around and believe it and walk the way you're supposed to because all of this will come out. And as we pray, I confidently believe that the result of this or that we will become a whole new humanity, a group like anyone has, unlike anyone has seen ever before. So as we go into a time of worship, as I invite the praise team up as we get ready, do you believe that the gospel is true? That Jesus didn't come just to tell you that he loves you. Yes, that's true. Jesus didn't just come to tell you that your sins are forgiven. Yes, that's true. But Jesus came to tell you that if you want to follow him, if you want to be his people, if you want to be his son and his daughter, you must recognize that his way of living, his kingdom has invaded the old way and it's just not true anymore. Ask yourself, I'm going to give you a couple minutes, 
ask yourself, what of the world's way have you believed? Serious question. Is it true that if you get 100 likes on your IG post, that you're famous, that you're liked, that you're popular and you're good? Is it true that when you walk down the hallways of your school and the boys, they look at you and they talk about you because you're pretty or whatever, that that's what makes life wonderful? Is it true that when you graduate high school with a certain GPA and get into the college that you want to and go and do the things that you want to, that that's what makes your life amazing? Is it true that the love you need is the love of another, of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse, that that's what's going to make you happy forever and ever? Is it true Repent, turn around, and believe. Blessed are you, the poor in spirit, for yours and yours alone is the kingdom. Blessed are you, those who mourn, for you shall be comforted. Blessed are you, the gentle and the meek, for you and you alone shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for right relationships in the world, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who are merciful, for you will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for indeed you will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for indeed you and only you will be called sons and daughters of God. And blessed are you if you've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for you and only yours is the kingdom. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. For you are unlike any other that we've ever seen and or known in the world. And your gospel tells us a new truth. It tells us a new thing. It gives us new life and it gives us new hope. And we pray, Lord, that indeed that you would Help us to know that this is true, that we would repent and believe that this is indeed the life that we're supposed to live, that you are God and that we are your people. Thank you.